1: Healing Trauma Through Presence. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions about healing from childhood trauma. He says it is important to acknowledge the trauma and to work through it, but not to get stuck in it. He believes that while we may feel like a victim, it is not ultimately who we are. Eckhart shares stories about his own childhood trauma. He explains that his father had intense anger issues and abandoned Eckhart and his mother when he was just 11 years old. As an adult, Eckhart later realized that his father had been traumatized by his own childhood. He says dysfunctional family patterns are handed down generation after generation. And he says healing happens when we break the cycle and that by practicing presence, we realize we're more than all the painful things we have experienced. I think this is something many people will relate to. The person writes in, how can I overcome childhood traumas related to my parents and earliest experiences that I can clearly see are affecting my life today?
2: Right. Trauma would be some uh, significant form of suffering that happened to you as a child, which is not uncommon. The question is, how does this trauma Manifest in your present life and in the present moment, how does it diminish your enjoyment of life your experience of the present moment how how does it bring about perhaps even dysfunctional behavior in you and then you can if you look at it closely you can see it exists in you as probably an emotion an emotional field that I call it the pain body. It gets triggered. It may not always be on the surface, but in certain situations particularly, it gets triggered and then it it takes you almost, one could say, it, it takes you over partially or completely. So the trauma exists in you as an emotion and it also exists in you as a thought or a stream of thinking as a narrative in your mind because these are certain things that happened. You remember these things and you have a particular way of explaining them to yourself. And, And trauma in most of these cases means that some other human being, whether it's parents or caregivers or other or siblings or other humans inflicted suffering on you that left these emotional, mental emotional wounds in you. So the only way you can you overcome is by intensifying your presence so that when the trauma becomes reactivated in you, and you experience it as an emotion or as a certain stream of thinking in your head, you're aware that this is what it is. You know where it comes from, and you can feel it. And as you become more present, the first thing that you, you are able to overcome will be your narrative, the narrative in your mind that's connected with certain traumatic events. The emotion is there for the time being. All you can do is accept it when it comes, but recognize it for what it is. The question is, whether the emotion still has a strong link with your thought processes? Um, In other words, you think about these things that happened and people that were involved in what happened. And this often, when you think about uh, these things that happened in the past that were done to you, be very much aware what kind of narrative you have in your mind and whether the narrative in your mind, whether you are a character in this narrative in your mind, and whether you, the character, like in a, like in a, we call it a narrative, so it's a kind of, let's say it's like a story, the whether, whether you are a character that is a victim of these events, of these people. So, and that is, that is actually a hidden way for the ego to uh, thrive in you, Mm-hmm. is by creating, by using certain painful life experiences, especially from childhood, can even be after childhood, using them so that you form a victim identity around these events. So you, there are the perpetrators and you are the victim. I'm not denying that bad things and terrible things happen to people and terrible things perhaps happen to you. The question is whether by reviving continuously these past events in your mind, you are creating, or ask yourself, am I creating an identity for myself that is mind-made, a conceptual identity in which i am the victim and that is a very seductive thing the ego as you may remember or know the ego looks for superiority in whatever way it can it needs to it needs to be superior to somebody or others to enhance its sense of self its a fictitious sense of self it's a mind made it's a conceptual sense of self And if you cannot be the great one who achieves the great successes, or it's better, has more things than others, can do more things than others, looks better than others, is stronger than others, these are ego identities too, conceptual identities. But many people don't have anything, they don't have much more than others, they are not better looking than others, they don't know more than others, can't do more than others. So where does the ego go if you don't have anything? So, in the case of trauma, but not only in the case of past trauma, even in, in many other cases, the ego uh, seeks itself, it seeks uh, to continuously replenish itself by building
0: up a victim identity for yourself. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu.
3: It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home,
2: I'm not denying that bad things happen to you, but are you creating, this is a very, very thing you need to be very much aware of, are you creating an identity, which is ultimately a fictitious identity, it's a conceptual identity, which which is a narrative-based identity, are you creating a victim identity for yourself out of these events? If you are, then that's the ego. And once you have established that, it's not not easy to get out of it. I don't know whether that's the case with you, the questioner. You may have already gone beyond victim identity and just experienced the trauma as emotion that comes up periodically or certain kinds of reactivity in certain situations that are based on the traumatic events. So you have to see for yourself whether it's primarily emotional, whether the trauma survives in you as the pain body or such as emotional suffering, or whether the trauma also survives in you through continuously dwelling on narratives in your mind in which your victim identity is continuously uh, strengthened by reviving the narratives in your mind, you think about these events. You maybe even talk about them, think about them again, and you have to. These these the perpetrators. Then uh, you you also constructing an identity for them. Uh, why do why do humans uh, inflict suffering on others? And of course, it is to do with the evolutionary stage of human development, because humans have inflicted unbelievable uh, amount of suffering on their fellow humans in people's personal lives. And collectively, even more, you go to a history book and see how many millions upon millions of humans have been, even in the 20th century, have been killed by other humans, not just in warfare between nations, even within nations, governments killed their own people, millions of them. So it's an unbelievable amount, and this is to do with the unconsciousness in in humanity. They are, um, as Jesus is supposed to have said on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, what does that mean? It means that they know not what they do, means they are completely unconscious. They are in the mercy of the egoic sense of self. They are unconscious. Forgive them means recognize that they manifest this unconscious evolutionary stage of human development, but don't make an identity out of it for these people don't say this is who they are. So ne- neither this is not who they are, whoever has inflicted suffering on you, and, you are, and the victim is not who you are. So that you get out of conceptual identities that are built around certain traumatic events, coming back to your question. So we often, by the way, you also need to do that collectively because it's very... Um, seductive to create a collective victim identity. So when you belong to a group, or you think mentally, you say, I'm in this group, bad bad things have been done to this group. And of course, yes, humans have inflicted some groups of humans have inflicted suffering on other groups of humans. And we're not denying that. It's to do with human unconsciousness. But the, the fallacy is, If we build up an identity around that, that is a conceptual identity in the mind, which is ego, that keeps you trapped in, ultimately, the state of unconsciousness yourself. So you recognize the perpetrators did what they did because there was not enough consciousness there to to do otherwise. Coming back to just a little example from my life, my father was prone to, when they, my parents were still married and I was a child b- b- between the age of one and eleven, they were living together with me, my father was at intense anger in him. Later I realized why, but we don't need to go into that, it's, it's, it's to do with certain dramatic events in his childhood. So he, he could be triggered by word or said, somebody said something. And I almost, there was always stress when he was there because there was like, it was like an unexploded bomb that you had living with you, could go off at any moment into intense anger. And later I realized, how could I blame him for that? He was at the mercy of that conditioning in himself, it was created by his own suffering. And the people inflicted that suffering on him, they did it because they had their own traumatic events in their childhood. It can go back generations and generations and generations. So the, the unconsciousness is passed on in certain ways to children and their descendants and so on. And so it was never his identity. It was never who he was. He couldn't help it. He was at the mercy of that conditioning. And so once you recognize that, then you no longer construct an identity for these perpetrators. You see what they did? Forgiveness means you recognize that it, it happened as a result of human unconsciousness. It doesn't necessarily mean that you may want to even spend time with them. Doesn't Forgiveness doesn't mean that necessarily. And you, you may want to continue not to have contact with them anymore, that's possible too, but there's no longer an eternal narrative around it that strengthens your sense, your own sense of identity. So getting rid of the victim identity is very important as an important step in overcoming the remnants of past trauma. So you, you recognize it. Then you see the narrative in your mind, then it's simply you rephrase the narrative as you were the victim of human unconsciousness as we all are, to a greater or lesser degree, you are the victim, you were the victim of human unconsciousness, but it was part of the evolutionary process of humanity. But the strange thing is, humans do not evolve except through suffering, challenges, that you ask this question, the questioner, and you are here asking this question, because of what happened to you. So you are awakening spiritually because you need to overcome the trauma. If there was no trauma that you needed to overcome, you wouldn't be here. You would be, I don't know, you would be sitting somewhere drinking a beer and watching television. what else there to do. So these things are, very helpful, be grateful that that's there, be careful with the narrative in your mind so that the mental processes no longer create a perpetrator identity or a victim identity. And so then that becomes, once you're no longer at the mercy of the thought processes, then all you're left with is the emotion that comes up from time to time. And the emotion no longer controls your thinking. That's the important step in overcoming trauma, pain body. If the, the emotion, you're no longer doing the emotional thinking that's connected to that past event. So when the pain body arises, you're able to observe it directly, to be aware of it directly. It no longer rises up into your mind and reactivates the narrative in your mind about what they did to me what they or he or she did to me the dreadful or maybe it was god what god did to me or how unfairly life treated me or that but when the emotion rises up into your mind it reactivates this old narrative and that as you become more present the emotion will remain for a while but the link between the emotion and your thought processes gets severed. And that's the important, most important step. Because if you do not sever or cut the link between the emotion and your thought processes, if that doesn't happen, then you there's a vicious circle. Because your thought processes that continuously revive the traumatic event continu- feed the emotion. Periodically, which is the pain body, the thought processes feeds the emotion. Then the emotion rises back into your mind and feeds your thinking. <laughs> and that is a vicious cycle in which some humans are tra- trapped until they die. And so cutting the link between your thought processes and the emotion is vital, it can only happen through presence. So that your thought processes and your thinking then no longer produces suffering. Your thinking is no longer ego-based. Of course, you remember the event, but it no longer has an an ego around it. And what you're left with then is the emotion that will come up from time to time and may still, from time to time, create certain reactions if if there's not enough presence yet. And as presence grows through the practice of awareness in everyday life, not just when you're being challenged, but in everyday life, practice as much as possible to be present. We've spoken about that, be, be present whenever you can. And as presence grows in you, the pain body begins to become transmuted. Uh, whether it becomes totally transmuted in your lifetime, we don't know. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because you're no longer at the mercy of it. It is, not, it is no longer your identity. Your identity is no longer determined by the traumatic event. And that's an enormous liberation. Because if your essential identity, if you believe that, that that identity is to a large extent created by the traumatic event, then you're trapped in ego, and you're trapped in unconsciousness, and you're trapped in resentment, and you're trapped in suffering. So that's that's so important. So the your identity is is no longer derived from thought processes. Your identity comes from a deeper place, the, de- the place of presence. You are the presence, and that's that's liberation. You are not. Your identity is no longer determined by or derived from the trauma. And that is how gra- gradually it, the trauma diminishes. As long as you identify, it, as long as it determines who you feel or think you are, you cannot become free. It 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 would go, could go on for. If you live for hundreds of years, it go on for hundreds of years, and and you probably pass on that particular
0: conditioning even to others. You like to watch new stuff, right?
3: Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
2: So, this is the I've just explained the the process. It's it's terribly important. And a time will come, if it is not already now, where you become grateful for the drama, because it it forced you into awakening. And that is the that's the grace that's hiding behind every seemingly negative event, it's always there.
4: Good evening, Eckhart. First of all, um, namaste, and thank you for the profound change you and King have brought to my life. Thank you. Um, my question is related to the inner body meditation. So I've been practicing it regularly in these past few weeks. And you've mentioned before that the success criterion is the sense of joy. During this meditation practices, I, I think I've experienced moments of emptiness in the best sense of the word, like, you know, moments where I feel a deep peace, where, you know, there are no emotions or thoughts whatsoever, uh, but there's no joy either. I mean, it's like pure emptiness. So, i'm just wondering if there's any other success criterion other than the sense of joy or is this a just another different type of joy you are referring to um right. in other words am i doing this correctly
2: <laughs> that's my question <laughs> yeah well that's a good question yeah it's uh, probably best not to look for joy but just to be to be present but uh if possible, um, intensify your the sensing of presence a bit more so that uh, the presence, uh, to be present, is both active and a passive thing. The, the passive thing is because when you totally accept, for example, when you totally accept this moment as it is, the portal into presence opens up to complete because you're completely okay with this moment as it is so complete acceptance of this moment is the portal into present one of the portals into presence complete acceptance of what is this moment and that's uh, one could say is the 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 passive or one could almost say the yin aspect of presence it's it's that the same like, the, 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 the images of Mary, it's a female, it except, except the hands are stretched out, it, it receives whatever is there, it allows whatever is there, or Kuan Yin, or whatever it may be, that's presence. There's another, the, the other aspect of presence is active and is more Yang, and there's an intensity behind it. The two kind of come together so when you accept this moment as it is, you might think accept kind of as oh, oh I accept this. But there's also there needs to be at the same time an intensity of presence. And with that intensity, you sense more acutely what presence is. There's no stress behind it, but there's a, there's a high degree of alertness behind. But in that alertness, you're not really looking for anything not even for joy because you're looking for something then there's very reason why you can't find it uh so the there's an intensity of presence and all you feel is that intensity of presence and it's the, i sometimes c- compare to the sword of presence you, the sword you the sort of presence cuts through time and then the, in the presence, you don't look for joy, because if you, the more aware you become of the presence, and that's already a wrong way of putting it, because we're using language, we're creating subject and object. When I say you become aware of presence, it's not really the case, because you and presence are the same. You essentially are presence. So you become aware of yourself, It you still have a subject and object. <laughs> there's a self-awareness that self, and that is, you become more deeply aware of yourself. There's a self-awareness in you, and then you reach a point where that self-awareness is very, very alive. You may not call it joy. You may have certain ideas associated with joy that don't actually fit here, but there's there's an intense feeling of aliveness, which of... and this is the, the light. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. You are the light of the world. And, but you have to know that. It's not enough to say, okay, I believe you. <laughs> so that's not. It. He said it because he wanted you to, to know it directly. And when you know this, this light that is the essence of who you are, which is awareness, we could call that joy. But it may not even be the right word for it. There is an, there's an intense aliveness. It's, it's, it's lovely. It's wonderful to be, to, to, to know yourself at this deepest level. It's so alive. Maybe forget about the word joy because it might have associations that don't fit here. It could be, some people call it, there some spiritual teachers who use the term happiness. I don't really use happiness to describe it, because happiness belongs to the world of gain and loss. When you get happy, oh, I'm so happy. It's not that kind of thing. But because the words are limited, sometimes certain spiritual teachers say, your true nature is happiness, some teachers have said, some Indian teachers, some others. Your true nature is happiness. Again, I know exactly what they mean and they're right, but it can be misleading. Because what is usually called happiness is something very superficial <laughs> compared to what we are talking about here. Uh, so let's forget about joy and just sense the, the intense aliveness that is the essence of who you are. That's enough. Whatever you want to call it is fine. <laughs> don't need to call it anything. That would probably be best. In order to take you there, the words, as you know, the words I use are pointers. They're just signposts. Some pointers work better than other pointers for certain people. And that is why I use a variety of pointers, because some work for one person, but not for another person. So I use other pointers, because they might work better for other people. (laughs) So joy is not a pointer that works for you. Forget about it. Intense just. That's all, and then it deepens, and whatever it becomes, then who knows? Maybe some you'll find some other word if you wanted to talk about it, to to describe it. So that's really what it is. But don't don't look for any experience or anything like that, because the thing that the when you're what you're looking for is where you're looking from. What you're looking for is where you, that's i believe saint francis even said that what what you are looking for is where you are looking from so if you're looking for joy then eventually you have to forget about joy and just be aware of the what does it mean i'm looking for it's an intensity of consciousness so it's like having a flashlight and the flashlight is looking for itself where am i And at some point, the flashlight becomes aware, oh, I'm actually what I was looking for. (laughs) I am the light. (laughs) I was looking for the light there. (laughs) That's how it is. It's very hard to talk about these things. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Eckhart,
1: I'm gonna sneak one final question in here to end our session this evening. Why is consciousness interested in becoming conscious of itself? What's the problem with remaining unconscious of itself? What does consciousness gain by becoming conscious of itself?
2: No, because um, you and the the universe are not two separate things. You are an essential part of the universe. When you ask these big questions, uh, it's often more helpful to rephrase the question And you're more likely to find the answer within yourself if you rephrase the question. And then it's no longer abstract. So your first question is, why is consciousness interested in becoming conscious of yourself? Rephrase the question, ask yourself, why am I interested in becoming conscious? Why am I interested in becoming conscious? And I'm sure there's a reason why you are here. There's a reason why you ask that question. And when you look into why am I interested in becoming more you will find an answer why you want to become more conscious. And the next question is, what is the problem with consciousness remaining unconscious of itself? We the question, what is the problem with me remaining unconscious? <laughs> Ask yourself the question, what's wrong with me if I just remain unconscious? You will find a very good answer why you don't want to remain unconscious. For one, you don't want to suffer anymore, <laughs> you don't want to inhabit a nightmare anymore. And there are many other answers that will come to you if you ask, why, what's, what is the problem with me remaining unconscious? You will know all very well what the problem is with you remaining unconscious. What does consciousness gain by becoming conscious of itself? What do I gain by awakening? What do I gain becoming more conscious? And again, these questions you, you, you can answer for yourself, but then at the same time, you will have found the answer to these bigger questions that you asked about universal consciousness itself. So. With this, because you are a microcosm of the totality of the whole, and all the important things that you need to know, through intensifying self-observation, the answers are all in you. And I've just shown you where, how you easy, easily you can actually find them. So, and then the questions are no longer abstract because the way you ask them, they're abstract. You can say, "Oh." think about it. No, this is very concrete. This, is very, this all concerns you, because you are consciousness wanting to awaken, and your life will show you why, and there's the answer. Thank you.
1: I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these Essential Teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today
0: and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.